We are building a culture of leaders, not just people who call themselves Christians, but men and women who will rise up to be the change agents in our society. People who believe that there is way too much at stake just to passively let life go by. Our leadership will be defined by these four guiding principles. We will be leaders who are tenaciously teachable. We will be the kind of leaders who are marked with contagious joy. We will be defined as servant leaders. And deep inside of every one of us, you will find a warrior spirit. We believe everything rises and falls on leadership. Leaders shape environments instead of being shaped by them. We are the kind of people who set the pace. We blaze the trail. And as a church, we are committed to raising up men and women who will lead and love just like Jesus. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Welcome those of you here joining online, South San Jose, Sunnyvale, people at Disneyland for Memorial Day weekend. We are glad that you're with us. Can we welcome everybody joining us all across our campuses? Hey, it's a great day. How many of you guys love Memorial Day weekend? Just out of curiosity, cookouts, lots of fun. Um, and I think it's appropriate for us to stop and recognize why do we have Memorial Day weekend? It's not just so that we can take a day off of work and have fun watching multiple Warriors games throughout the weekend. Um, it is to celebrate and to honor the freedom that we have, and most important, to honor those who have given their lives so that we can be free. And some of you, you have friends, family members, and people that you deeply love who've given their lives for our country and so that we can sing songs to Jesus, so that we can worship, so that we can listen to God's word on a Sunday. And we're here today because of the price that they paid. And so I think it's important for us, regardless of what you believe about war, it's important for us as a church to honor people who've given their lives for our freedom. So I just want to put our hands together and celebrate and thank people, even families who've lost loved ones for the sake of our freedom. Today, as we continue our Leadership Code message series, I want to talk about why this series is so incredibly important for us as a church, because we're doing something that goes way beyond just our weekend services and even our groups and our teams. We are building a culture that we hope outlasts every single one of us. And the way that that culture transpires is through our vision and our values as a church. And for us as leaders, especially those who are on our dream team and leading our church, we want to clarify where are we going as a church, number one, but who are we trying to build up? Who are we trying to become as a church? So we've been walking through these values. Week number one, we talked about the subject of servant leadership and how Jesus, he valued and lifted up servant leadership with his life. Today, we're going to talk about the subject of contagious joy, hence the t-shirt. How many of you guys like my t-shirt? It's, it's pretty cool. How can you not smile at a preacher in a smiley face t-shirt all day long. Uh, week number three, we're going to come and look at the subject of tenacious teachability and how we pursue wisdom and growth as leaders. And then in week number four, we're going to talk about how do we have a warrior spirit, the kind of leadership that doesn't give up when it gets tough. We just keep persevering through difficulty, through trials and tribulation. And so that's where we're headed throughout the course of the series. And today, I have the privilege of talking about the subject of contagious joy. And this comes out of a lot of pain for me. Let me say it like this. So every year, at the beginning of the year, I take a word or a value that I'll focus on, and I'll really ask God 
to help me throughout the course of the year to grow in whatever that virtue or value is. So a couple of years ago, um, I decided that I would involve my family in the process. So I started off, and that year I would take the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I would share that list with them and let each of them speak into which of the words that they wanted me to focus on. Now I thought I might walk away from that with maybe two or three words. And um, when I did it, I sat down with Sammy, who is, I didn't ask our daughter, Karis, because she's too young to be able at that point to give me anything. So I sat with Sammy and Sammy was like, I think that if you had a little bit more joy, that would be good. And I'm like, okay, cool. Thank you very much. So then I went to Cademan, our oldest, and I said, hey, what, what would you like to see in me of all these you know, parts of the fruit of the Spirit, what would you like to see in my life? And came and goes, hmm, I'd like to see all of them, but you know, the one that most would, would really be awesome is if you could have just a little bit more joy. And then I went to Stacy, and I was like, hey, babe, I'm like hoping maybe, you know, she's like, love, maybe you give me some love or something. Um, and no, she, she gets to that joy word, and she says, if you would have a little bit more joy, I think it would change everything for you and for our family. So will you please focus on joy? So I figured the sign is there. Three times, baby, I need more joy. So for that year, I really focused in on the subject of joy. And what I noticed about myself is it's pretty hard to be joyful. Now, some of you, you have personalities like you're joyful all the time, but I've noticed with life, especially as we, we kind of traverse through the decades, I even saw this in some research this week, that there's a tendency over the course of our lives to become less joyful. In fact, they did this one longitudinal, longitudinal study of people, and they noticed that when people got into their 30s, their happiness took a steep decline. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe that's when most people have kids or something. Um, and, and life kind of, you know, you, you're in your 20s, you're progressing, you're graduating from college, you're getting new kids, you know, babies, and, you know, they, they don't do anything wrong, at least for the first few months. They're not messing your life up. And then, you, you know, they get older. And then life just kind of has a way of sucking the joy out of us. And we have to fight for that joy. And I think a lot of us, maybe we were more joyful at another season in our life, but when you look at the fruit of the Spirit and when you see the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was filled up with joy. He said that I came, that your joy might be full. And I imagine this picture of heaven, the Father, he's, he's enthroned with heavenly light, but he's a Father who's filled with joy that in heaven, people aren't walking around with, with frowns on their face. There's a, there's a joy that comes from the presence of God that God wants to come into your life. How many of you guys are grateful today that God wants you to experience more joy? That's his will for your life. Yet there's a tendency on planet earth to suck that joy away from us. We all want it, Yet we hit things in our lives that take it away, that there are things in our jobs and our marriage and our relationships that tend to rob us of joy. And, and we all, when we get around a leader who has joy, joy in their lives, since we're talking about leadership, everybody wants to be with a leader who has joy. I, in fact, I, I love the story of Widodo from our church. Um, that's a cool name, Widodo. Um, yo, Widodo. It's just, it's fun to say. And um, so Widodo, he leads in our family ministry, and he is, he's filled up, he is a magnet that just is constantly drawing people to himself with joy. 
He, on Sundays when he would serve in Sunday mornings, he would go out after church with a group of people. They'd, you know, they would go to Panda Express and they'd fill up the restaurant. Everybody's laughing. Well, Wadodo, who previously attended Sunday mornings at North San Jose, realized that the services were getting full. And so he said, I'll move to Sunday night. Well, he, he drew a bunch of people to Sunday night by like taking them out for dinner and hanging out. And it's just his joy. People want to follow that. And what we know is that joyful teams are led by joyful leaders, right? And we, we all want to be a part of a joyful team. I mean, come on, at work, we all know the team, and maybe you're on it, that everybody just complains and gripes. And at the core of that usually is a leader who complains and gripes. And what happens? You want to be on that team where everybody's laughing and having fun in their meetings, don't you? That's why everybody wants to work at Google, baby, is because everybody's happy there. Um, and, and I think that there's a sense in which we want that in our lives, but somehow the world, the enemy, the flesh pulls us away from that joy. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, the Apostle Paul writes, and I want you to hear his words. If anybody had an excuse to not have joy, it was Paul. He was beaten. He was abused for his faith. He was, he was mocked. He was mistreated. Yet he'd write this letter to the Corinthians, and he says this, My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically. That word enthusiasm comes from the Latin word entheos, meaning to be in God. The picture of God being this one who has life and joy, and the more you know him, the more enthusiasm you have. That's why when I was growing up in church, um, I remember maybe your experience was different than mine, but we used to have these massive pulpits that were like eight feet wide in the church. And they were, you know, this real like cool cedar wood, and the pastor would get up there and I swear he would fall asleep in between sentences in his prayers. I mean, he'd pray, dear father, we thank thee for thy infinite grace. I mean, it was horrible. I used to sit there and be like, how are you like that? Like, if you have encountered the grace of God, show me some enthusiasm. Like, give me some joy or something. And Paul says, if you, if you know God... There should be this enthusiasm, like with Dodo, that, that when people get near you, that they're attracted to that part of your life, that you, you invigorate them. He says, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is useless. I think that there are some people who are serving the Lord today, and your enthusiasm, your joy has been diminished because you feel like it's in vain. And I think that some people here today, God wants you to know that every time you serve, every time you pray, I love reading through our connection cards and seeing the dozens of you who are praying weekly for a friend or a family member to come to know Jesus with his love. And you are inviting, you are begging God to change that person's life. Every prayer you pray, every invite card you give out, every time that you invest in the life of a student who's in sixth grade and they're awkward and they're doing the floss dance and <laughs> weird things. Like every, every time you invest... There is never a moment that is wasted when you are giving your life to build the kingdom of God. That's, that's the kind of enthusiasm Paul's saying. When you know you keep pushing, you keep working, God's using it, you can get this enthusiasm that fills your soul. How many of you guys want that today? All of our campuses, you want that contagious joy. But life sucks it away from you. 
And I want to help today through my own joy to talk about how do you get it back? How do you get that joy deep inside your soul? It cha- Listen, it changes your marriage when there's joy. It changes your place of work when you've got that kind of joy. It changes your relationship with your kids when there's joy between you and them. It changes the way you see your school when you have joy. And the, the, the converse of that is that marriages are being ruined because people complain because we have bad attitudes and we don't have to go very far. Flip on the news for a few minutes. You know, most of us experience tremendous negativity in our world. So we, if we're followers of Jesus, we have to be filled up with that joy. The light has to shine so brightly from within us that it shines into the darkness. I want to talk about how do you get that? How do I live and lead with joy in a sustainable way? Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to camp for the portion of our time that we have together remaining. And um, I have three points that I'd like to walk through. I may not get through all of them in the message, so maybe... Um, you, you can pick them up somewhere online or something. I'll share with you a way that I think I can get all of it to you, but I'm going to try to get to all of it if I can. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. I want us to notice more of Paul's thoughts on the subject of joy. Now, this book, Philippians, is called the book of joy. It's theologians and scholars talk about how it's the letter of joy. That's the theme of the book. Anytime you read the Bible, when you understand it in its context, it has more potency to it. And um, it would be like really cool for somebody to write a letter of joy after they had just won the lottery. Let me tell you how to have more joy. Or maybe after they had won a great Olympic victory would be a really good time to write about joy. But Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi, and he writes... The letter from prison, and I want us to notice how Paul commends or he even commands these people at the church in Philippi to live with greater levels of joy, and his thoughts are so practical. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. Now, the question is, when to be full of joy? Is it to be full of joy when you get the promotion at work? Is it to be full of joy when she says yes to you and you propose? Is it to be full of joy when the the warriors defeat the rockets? When is the time to be full of joy? Paul says, when? Always be full of joy. Where? Not in your circumstances, but in the Lord. That's the place that you can fix your eyes to find that reservoir of joy regardless of your circumstances. What he is saying is even when you can't rejoice in your circumstances, you can still find joy in the Lord and in his love for you. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And I will say it one more time just in case you didn't get it. I'll say it again. Rejoice. That's, that's God's will for you. You can have confidence that no matter what your circumstances are today, it is God's will for you that you would have joy. Regardless, walking through divorce, walking through a difficult situation at work, lost your job, no matter what your circumstances are today, it is God's will for you to have joy. And I love how Paul puts it back on them. He says, you, listen, have joy, rejoice. And he's making a very important point, which is my joy is my responsibility. I know that that's bad news for some of us because we still are looking to somebody else 
to make us happy. I read this um, study this week. 275,000 people were surveyed and they were asked the question, how do you get joy? And they noticed a pattern with the 275,000 people. What they noticed was that there was a large number of people that said that the thing that gave them joy was something that happened to them or someone in their life that influenced them, that their, their source of joy was outside themselves. And then there was another group of people that when they were surveyed, that they said that their source of joy, actually their locus of control for joy was within themselves. In essence, they said, my joy is my responsibility. They followed these people over the course of time. And what they noticed was that the people who believed that the, the source of joy was on the outside, actually over the course of time, they were less successful in their relationships, with their finances, with their marriage, their work, because they thought it was somebody else's job to make them happy. The other people who believed it was their responsibility to find joy over the course of time, the things that they touched got more successful. So what am I saying? I'm saying that it's your responsibility to find joy. It is my responsibility to be joyful. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to look at your neighbor right now, all of our campuses, and say, you're fired. Just tell them, you're fired. You are. You're fired today. You lost your job. And here's, here's why. It is no longer your job to make me happy, okay? It's not your job anymore. I'm not looking to you to make me happy. Paul is, is, is helping the church at Philippi. That's, I just said, just tell them you're fired, okay? I didn't, ask, I didn't say ask for a date. I said, tell them you're fired. Paul is saying, it's my responsibility to find joy. Now, he's going to get real practical. Watch what he says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. The greatest antidote to a life of worry is not worry, worry, worry. The greatest antidote to a life of worry is prayer is to take our needs before God because he cares. He cares about every need that you have. He cares about your struggle emotionally. He cares about your relationships that are suffering. He cares about your finances. Bring that to him. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need, he says, and then thank him for all that he's done. So you take the stuff that you have right now today that you're struggling with, and then you see it in light of what God's already done in the past and you understand that he's capable to care for your, your present. You see his faithfulness back there. You know today he's got this covered and he's got that stuff in the future covered. And then he finishes his thoughts and he says, and then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. This is why somebody can be walking through cancer and have more peace than you and I can have in traffic. Because... There is a peace that they're finding not in their circumstance, but in the sovereign grace of a good God that deeply loves them and is carrying them through that situation. That peace is guarding their heart and guarding their mind. He says it transcends your understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I feel like I've preached a good sermon and I'm not even halfway through. We could just go home right now. <laughs> Because this is, this is truth for our lives that that peace can guard us. But Paul is going to get more pointed. So there's a connection between your peace and your joy. They're working together. And have you ever noticed that? That sometimes people who have peace have joy and people who have joy also have peace. They're, they're, they're very, very closely connected. Now watch what he says next. He says, and now 
dear brothers and sisters. I got one final thing to lay on y'all before I close up this letter and call it a day. Fix your thoughts on what is true and what is honorable and what is right. You know, it's important to recognize that just because you think it doesn't make it true. Some of us have a hard time distinguishing between reality and our thoughts. Your thoughts are not always reality, right? And so he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. You're crazy. Finally, whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable, think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise, worthy of honor back to God. He is saying, you are able to control your mind. Even though it doesn't feel like it, you're, you're able to control what you fix your thoughts on. You know, part of the struggle with our thought process is we have such a low awareness of what we're thinking about. We're not even thinking about what we're thinking about. And um, I was on a run this week, so I recently have been going for runs, and I, I just, I call them runs, not jogs, because it makes me feel better about myself. And uh, you could call it a jock if you actually watch me, but it's, I call it a run. So I was on a run this week, and I've, been, I've actually been just really enjoying runs. I turn on my worship music. We live pretty close to the hills in South San Jose, and so I'll run over to the hills, and it's just a beautiful time of year. The flowers are blooming, and um, the hills are just gorgeous. The weather in the morning is super cool. I just, I love it. And the other day, I, I saw Bambi when I was out. So I thought I'd show you Bambi re- real quick. If you just take a look, we'll just enjoy. There's some, some carrots there. I think somebody that lives real close drops carrots for Bambi, and then she rolls up. I was like five feet from her. She didn't even budge. And um, maybe I'm just not an intimidating human, but she just, she didn't move. Now, stop for a second, okay? Lots of lovely things on the run to enjoy. But I also ran past a dead skunk. And so I took a picture of that. Um, This was posted on my Insta feed. If you want to join me there, Pastor Andy Wood, you can um, follow me there. Um, But I, I, I thought about this just for a second, okay? So... In your life, there are good things and bad things. And I didn't stop. Now, I did stop to take a picture. But I didn't stop at the skunk and go, ew, that's gross. That smells. That's nasty. What did I do? I I saw the skunk and it smelled. And the first time I ran past it, but then a few minutes later, I was like, oh, that'd be a great sermon illustration. So I ran back, but, but I ran past it and got past it as fast as I could because it was nasty. It was gross. And it was funny to me on my Instagram how more people commented on the skunk than they did the deer. I was, it, I was baiting you, but you commented on the skunk because we love the gross. And the reality is that you have a magnifying glass in your hands. And your mind, you are fixing, point number one, your thoughts on something. And Paul is saying, the things in your life that are good, that are right, that are true, that are honorable, that are lovely, that are excellent, that are worthy of praise, get the magnifying glass out and fix your thoughts on those things. 
Some of us got the magnifying glass over the skunk. It's my marriage smells so bad. My, my middle school student is rank. He's horrible. I mean, we, we walk around and we put it on the things that are not right in our lives. Listen, I promise you there are some things in your life that are right today. There are. And there are some things in your life that are wrong. And until you die, it will be that way. And your joy will be dictated based upon what you fix your thoughts on. You can always find something in your spouse to praise. You can always, I know sometimes it's hard with your kids, but you can always find something there that you can give your thoughts to that are right. I love the psalmist in chapter 34, verse 3. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Does God need to be magnified? I mean, God is massive in his capacity and his power. The magnifying glass is not for God. The magnifying glass is for us to see his greatness, to to remember the good things that God has done in your life. If you started your day with a journal and wrote down all the great things that God has blessed you with, it would change your level of joy. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and listen to what he says. And let us exalt his name. How? Together. Listen, one of the greatest things that you and I can do to fix our thoughts is to get into an echo group. Because somehow when you are around other people that that really are trying to move in the same direction as you, they can help you fix your thoughts. We have groups on marriage. We have groups on finances. We have groups on dating. We have groups for students. We have groups for young professionals. We, we have groups that drink the read the Bible and drink beer together. Um, And we have groups for people trying to quit drinking and everything (laughs) in between. And it's good not to get those mixed up. But but there is a group for you that you can get into and it will help you fix your thoughts. One of the most practical things that you can do in response to this message is to get into community, into an echo group to get your mind straight. To get your mind fixed on the things that are right. Now listen, here's where leadership plays out. A leader thinks about things in their mind and the things that they think about today later will change the environment that they're in and tomorrow what a leader is thinking about today will become the culture of their organization and their team tomorrow. The things that a leader wrestles through, good and bad, affect the culture. A lot of times when it comes to problems in our lives, and especially for those of us who are business leaders and we're working, we take problems at such a low level and we get our eyes focused in the weeds when most of the problems in our lives are a thought problem, that at the highest level, there's some paradigm issue that's playing into how we're acting as an organization or individually. We've talked about this so much with our staff to say, how do you address a problem at the thought level, at the paradigm level? That's where you get the greatest amount of change in your life. And Paul says, fix your thoughts. If you're a leader and things are not right and the things that you lead chances are that the thought process of your team is off. And chances are the thought process of your team is off because your thoughts are off. So if you want to fix your life, if you want to fix your marriage, if you want to fix your job, if you want to fix your friendships, the way that you start to fix your life in cooperation with God is to fix your thoughts, number one. That's what Paul's saying. What is true, what is right, what is noble, what is honorable, 
excellent and praiseworthy. That's why journaling for me is so important because, man, if you saw my journals, you'd think I'm psychotic. You would. And as I write down the things that are off in my life, but somehow getting it on paper, God can fix my thoughts. If I'm not honest about it, then I just I stay in it. I'm attentive to it through journaling, walking, prayer walking. I call them gratitude walks where I just go out and thank God for the good things in my life. And I'm bringing my thoughts back. It is, it is so important. I think about this for our church. One of the most important things I can do as a leader is get my mind right with God and my heart right with him. If my mind's off and my heart's off, it affects everything. This is true in anything you're leading, in your family, your work. So we're going to fix our thoughts. The second thing I want to focus on is once you start changing the way you think, it has to translate to another level in your life. In James chapter 3, we're going to focus there for a few minutes before we wrap up our time. James chapter 3. And we're going to talk about what happens once you fix your thoughts. Because I think a lot of people don't consider what happens after their mindset changes. And he says this, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should presume to be teachers in the church for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, let me make this statement just for a second. Last week, I talked about this idea that if you're in the kingdom of God with leadership, you should not push for a position, but you take a posture. Yet God still, he still has positions in his kingdom. There's still spiritual authority and teaching is one of the roles and James says, when you, when you teach, you're held to a higher standard. So that m- means both with your life and your words. That's why it's important for the people that are on our stages, the church, they're pounding through and wrestling through every word that they say. And not just that, but the stuff that's off the stage, behind the scenes, it matters to God, all of it. Things we say when nobody's listening are just as important as the things that we say when everybody is listening. He's saying not, not everybody should be a teacher because really... At the end of the day, you're going to stand accountable for God before God at a higher level. If you want spiritual leadership, he's calling you up. And he says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. This is important to recognize. We're all broken as human beings. We all stand in need of God's grace. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Can I get a good amen on that one? Um, Because most of the problems in our lives come from our mouths. Things we say, and some of us, you know, we have this, I can't stretch that far, but foot in the mouth disease, you know what I'm saying? Stick your foot in your mouth. Anybody else, just out of curiosity, just some extroverts in the house, I see you, I see those hands. And um, there's a tendency to say things we shouldn't say, we, a lot of sin. There's a proverb that says, when words are many, sin is not absent. And that, that's the case for, for us. A lot of the sin in our lives comes from the things that we say. James is saying. Now he says, um, if we could control ourselves, we'd be perfect. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by the means of a small bit. The the bit is just a few inches controls the whole horse. Then he says after that, um, in verse 4, a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a very small thing that makes grand speeches. You know, the rudder of a ship is sometimes not even much bigger than my hands, but it can control a ship that has hundreds of people on it. Your tongue, your lips, your language is steering your life. The direction of your life is being dictated by the language that is coming out of your mouth. 
So the second aspect that is so crucial to change your level of joy is to steer your life with your words. If you want your life to go in a different direction, you have to change the direction of your words. If you want more joy, you have to speak differently. That's why I love um, the story of Justin Imamura from our church. Justin, I've known, I think, for seven years now. And if I had given this message six, seven years ago when I first met Justin, he could have been a great example of joy. He is the highest energy person you will ever meet. He is like excited to see you. What's up, brother? Good to see you, man. All the time like that. You'll see in a video here. He's like just Red Bull all the time. I love it. And you're pumped when you see him. Um, But Justin, as he changes environments with his energy and his passion, um, notice something in San Jose, the trash. How many of you guys have noticed the trash as well in San Jose? And um, Justin, though, different than you and me, I go home and I complain about the trash to my wife. It's getting so trashy in San Jose. It's so bad. I see it everywhere I go. I just complain, 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 complain. Justin saw it, said, you know what? I'm not going to use my mouth to complain. I'm going to use my mouth to talk to my friends, and we're going to pick up trash together. And we're going to clean up the city of San Jose. So he started organizing groups of people. He called it the trash punks. And they started going out and just picking up trash together. Got recognized by the mayor of San Jose. He's a part of Echo Church. And his life is echoing. And what he saw as a problem, he provided a solution. And he used his mouth to steer his life and the lives of others so hundreds of people could be honored. And now the city is recognizing, seeing him, seeing our church, all because one guy said, I'm not going to use my lips to just complain and gripe about the problems. I'm going to use my lips to make a difference. That's worth some, some celebration. And some of you are like, man, I want my life to be like that. Well, you have to go through Grow Track today. Um, in fact, step four, we go through four steps in Grow Track. Step four is your life echoing. And today in our Grow Track at all of our campuses, we're going to talk about how you your life, the gifts that God has given to you can make a difference here on planet earth, how you can take that mouth and use it and your hands and use them so that you can influence the lives of other people. See, you are building a life and we are building a life together. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says that the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. See, the, the, the writer Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, is making a statement about your mouth, and he is saying that your mouth is constantly speaking either life or death. And it's amazing to me my own tendency with my lips to speak death into situations. See, if you think of your life like a garden and you've got some things where grass is growing and the flowers are coming in, and then you got some other place where maybe, you know, some animal took a, you know, mess on your grass and you got, you know, some, sorry, bad illustration, but you know, you got some weeds that are growing. What I've noticed my tendency when something's not right in my life is I just want to curse it. Like, man, my kids, if they would just obey me, if, if I could get Stacy, I'm just kidding. Um, but but I just, I just want to speak negatively to the situation in my life. And what I've noticed is that every time I'm speaking to it, I'm actually watering it. 
I'm taking the magnifying glass and I'm putting it back on the thing that is not right in my life. Now, I'm not saying you ignore it, but you don't need to talk about the weeds to pull the weeds. Pull the weeds, you know, get some gloves on, get on your knees and pull the weeds in your life. Some things in your marriage that are not right, then, then stop talking about it and get, get a counselor to fix it. It's like the longer you talk about it, the worse it gets. The more you talk about it, it's not making the, the problem go away. Some of you got problems in your life you had for two decades. You just keep talk, 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 talking about it, hoping eventually it goes away. Now your joy is sucked away of your, from your life, and you're just talking about the problem rather than actually getting on your hands and knees and getting a solution to the problem. So what we want to do is we want to find those things in our life that are right and speak to them and provide life to them. So if your if your friends or your family members, there are 30 things that they do and, and 27 are wrong. Find the three that are right and just keep telling them how awesome those three things are. Your spouse might have come home from work one day out of the last 30 days on time. Well, you better be there when, when he or she walks through the door, kiss them on the lips, slap them on the behind, tell them way to go. I love you, honey. Let's have a great night and populate Echo Kids. I mean, come on. <laughs> just, just praise them for the thing that they did right and you'll get more of it. If we keep speaking to the things that are negative in our lives, it diminishes and takes away our joy it's, it's funny, like on, on a weekend here, there are, you know, sometimes things go wrong at church. I know it's surprising to you guys, but, you know, sometimes things don't happen the way that we anticipate that they will. And there could be eight things that go wrong and a hundred things that go right. And I've found if I take the eight things that go wrong and just talk about them all day, then my joy is diminished and diminished and diminished and taken down. And by the time Monday comes, I'm ready to quit. Now, I don't quit, but I'm ready to quit. And if I take the opposite, now Monday we still need to fix the eight things, but if I talk about the 92 things that are right, man, I feel like Joel Osteen, if you know who he is, like just filled up with joy all the time because, because my mind is fixed and my tongue is fixed on the things that God has blessed, the good things that God is doing in our lives. So it's all about how you frame it. And some of us today, our minds have been fixed on what's negative. Our tongues have been fixed there. And God is saying, I brought you here today to get you out of the gutter to tell you that there are some things that are good in your life. Now, if you are clinically depressed, that's a different conversation. And I want to encourage you to go back to three weeks ago and listen to Pastor Felipe's message. And sometimes we do need professional help. But a lot of the times, it's just a matter of our choices. It's just a matter, am I going to fix my thoughts on the right stuff? Am I going to steer my words in the direction that God wants them to go? I want to invite the band at all of our campuses to come out, and I want to lead you through some next steps in response to our time together today. I did not get to point number three, but if you want to join me Wednesday at noon for a Facebook Live event, I'll give you point number three in the middle of the week, and I'll encourage you. I'll smile. Maybe I'll wear another smiley face t-shirt and just pick you up in the middle of the week. But as we finish up our time together today, it's so important for us to apply what we've heard today. And if there's one next step that I could encourage you to take today is that you would get connected into community, into our Echo Groups. You're going to see the website as it comes up. And I want to encourage you, write that down, take a picture of it. And today, by the end of the day, to make a decision to get connected into community 
here at Echo Church because it will change everything for you. As we wrap up our time and we sing this next song in just a moment, the band's going to come forward at all of our campuses, and we're going to receive our offering during this time. This is our time to give back to God, and this is a time of us thanking God for the wonderful things that He's done in our lives. Last week, eight people went public with their faith in Jesus in our church, and I heard a story about one person um, who is a part of the LGBT community who came a few weeks ago and we had that message. They were so blessed by it that they brought some other friends with them. And one of their friends who's a part of the LGBT community made a decision last week to follow Jesus and get baptized. So every, every dollar, nothing you do for the Lord is in vain. Nothing you give for the Lord is in vain. Every time you give, God uses it. And he's multiplying the last series we had called You Asked For It. We had more people in that series than any series we've done in our church. And God's moving his kingdom forward together through us. So I want to say thank you for your generosity as you give today because God's given to you. And then during that time, we have the opportunity to drop our connection cards in as the buckets go by. And um, some of you, your next step is to go through Grow Track. If you've been coming for a while, Grow Track's that place where we get connected, we hear about the vision of the church, we hear how we can serve, hear about how we can connect, and that's happening today at all of our campuses. So just mark on that card, Grow Track, um, and we'll also follow up with you to give you more details of how you can be a part of Grow Track. And today as we wrap up our time together, I know that there are a lot of us that, man, we feel down about our lives. We, we feel like it's not what it should be, what it could be. And I hope that you know today that you are deeply loved by a God who is filled with mercy and kindness, and he's filled with joy. And when he sees you, scripture says that he rejoices over you with singing. Even sometimes in our lives, when the ways of our lives are not right before God, we are still deeply loved, and he sees you as a son or a daughter. And today what God wants to do is he wants to, he wants to take that frown and turn it upside down. And he wants today to fill you with his joy so that you can walk out knowing how deeply you are loved. So I'm, we're going to play a song. So if you'll stand up, all of our campuses, uh, and during the song, the buckets are going to be passed. This song for me, though, before we jump into it, was a song that God really used in my life in a time where I was just going through it. We had like multiple staff transitions, tough family time. I was just exhausted. And I would go out in the neighborhood where we lived, and I would turn this song on, and I would just sing it from the bottom of my soul. And one of the lines in here, it says, doesn't matter what I feel, it doesn't matter what I see, my hope will always be your promises for me. And today what God wants to do is fill you with that hope, that you can lift your hands in times when circumstances are not right, when you struggle, even when you can't find joy in your circumstances, you can find joy in the Lord. So today, if you, if you would feel so comfortable during this song, just to lift your hands and saying, I'm surrendering God, fill me with your hope, fill me with your joy. Father, thank you today that you're the God of infinite joy, that you fill us so that we can be contagious in that joy to fill the lives of others. Thank you for the promise of abundant life that exists in you. Thank you for the joy of heaven that fills our souls so that we can do things like trash punks and we can do things like serve our neighbor and we can invest in the lives of others and be a source of joy. Help us to get right before you so that we can make the world right with you. We pray in Jesus' name, believing that your promises are enough to sustain us. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's sing this song together as an act of praise before him.